This, this morning we're going to look at 2 Peter, verses, uh, first, 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. If you've read my little uh, PS note, you'll know that Peter wrote this. This is his last uh, epistle. He only wrote two. He will die soon after this, 64, 65 uh, A.D. And the circumstance was uh, basically, as in chapter in uh, the first epistle, there was persecution against the church, difficulties, hardships, trials. And then in the second epistle added to this was the issue of false teaching. And so they had this difficulty, and Peter, uh, again, writing his last epistle here before his death, he lays out something that is very, very important, and that is to grow in our faith. We're not supposed to stay stagnant. We're not supposed to stay at the starting line, which is trusting in Christ. But actually, we're to move on and to move forward in our spiritual walk with him. So this morning, I want to talk about growth in faith, and we start out by saying we must grow our faith. Now, notice Peter writes here for this. This is in verse five. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. For this very reason points back to what he said before, and let's, let's look at that. It's kind of wonderful technology. I don't have to have my stuff up here, but... His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So uh, Peter is saying you have everything available to you. Very important. Through knowledge, which he mentions in verse 8 today, through knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So there's a, a standard by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature. So in, in one sense, we have become partakers of the divine nature. That is that there has been a change within us. We are now on the journey of becoming more like Christ. And so when Peter says, uh, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. He's saying that the goal now in the Christian walk and the Christian life is to participate in the divine nature of God. In other words, in my daily walk, there is a divinity within me, which we would call the Holy Spirit. And at that point, I begin participating with the Holy Spirit as I live my Christian life. Now, it doesn't mean that the old nature is gone, because right after this, he says, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Peter understands that there is uh, there's this tug of war, if you will, within the life of the believer. On one end, the world is pulling us to this side, and on the other end, we are called to follow him. So there is this fight. There is this fight within us and which we have to go to the side of God in order to grow our faith. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Spude is the Greek word there for effort. And, and, and it means, this spude, make effort, means that you, 
you fixate on it and you, great, you give great in energy towards doing something. Uh, you make it a, a passion of your life. You make it the central piece of your life. And everything that you have, the eagerness, all of that is geared towards not only participating in the divine nature, but in growing your spiritual faith. Now, the second word supplement basically means to supply. Uh, there's a few, probably Tammy, Holly, there's, there's a few that know this one. Uh, this is one of my favorite uh, war games. War games. It's uh, 1914. Ian's always Germany. I have never figured that out, Ian, why you always pick Germany. Germany has a stack of cards that big. And actually, one time I was playing Russia, which is the white pieces here. And Ian came through and knocked me out. And I had to sit the whole game watching everybody because my players were gone. Okay. This is Quartermaster General 1914. This game is not about endless dice rolls and challenging. This game is actually about supply lines, which is very much like the war. Like when uh, first uh, Gulf War, we knocked out, which was called the shock and awe, we knocked out the Iraqi supply line. And they were days. And then it became a week and then two weeks without supplies. And at the end of that, they came forward surrendering. Now, in uh, this game, let's take this guy, for example. Here you have a supply line going all the way back to Moscow. Moscow is worth two points. If this guy attacks him and knocks him out, that supply line is broken. If the white player, which is Russia, cannot get another army in there, these two pieces are eliminated because there is no supply line. Peter's saying here that there is a supply line for our faith. And that faith starts at a certain point when you trust in Christ. And then from there, you begin supplementing or supplying your faith. And uh, many, many times Christians stay at the starting line. They've memorized John 3.16. They know that God loves them. Uh, but they never actually supply their faith. They never grow their faith. Now, secondly, we're going to look at the characteristics here. Some scholars view these as eight characteristics. Some as seven. I fall to the side of seven. There's seven characteristics. Notice here in verse 5b. Virtue, rute, which means moral excellence, but more likely means moral courage. When I think of moral courage, I think of when we stand alone. The world is doing this, but as a believer, I know that Jesus Christ is my Lord, and so I stand with moral courage against a world that is anti-Christ. And it takes toughness. And Peter knew this when he wrote this. That's why I put it up there first, was that, look, you guys are going through persecution, suffering, and hardship. You need the moral courage. You have to add to that salvational faith. You have to add this virtue of courage and strength. Because, listen, the world does not like us. 
if you've watched the news at all, you can understand what I'm saying. Anything that uh, has God attached is not good for us. And so they like to attack us. And as believers, there comes a point when we have to say, you know what? I'm going to stand against the attacks. You know what? Sometimes your family will attack you. If you take a stand on something, I, I don't know if you're familiar with this, um, and it came out in the latter part of last week. Alistair Begg, a man that I have always looked up to uh, as far as preaching, there was a grandmother that called into his show, and of course, he's, Alistair Begg's had big backlash about what he said. He said, not only should you attend the same-sex wedding, but you should bring a gift. He's been canceled on a lot of stations now because he didn't say the right thing, which was you cannot attend. And you, Alistair Begg pastors a very, very large church. So if you're not standing, you're giving in to the world system. Somebody once asked me, uh, I think it was a previous church, would you allow a, uh, a, a couple, same-sex couple, to attend church? My response is yes. Do you know why? Because they need to hear the gospel. Now, could they join the church? Absolutely not. And so there has to be this standard by which we say no, that we're going to do things God's way. Peter puts it up here right up front, virtue uh, rute, which means moral courage. You have to have the courage to stand against the world. Now, we don't hate people. We love people. Because it wasn't too long ago when I look at life and the brevity of life. It wasn't too long ago that you were outside of Christ yourself. And therefore, we default to grace and love and mercy because we have been shown grace, love, and mercy. But yet, at the same time, we have to make a stand. We have to make a stand against all the world system, whether that's immorality, whether that's financial, whether that's whatever it is. We need to make a stand. And, and, and sometimes, sometimes we stand alone. We stand alone. And I, I totally understand that uh, with your family, maybe your friends. Sometimes you have to stand alone. Secondly, he uses the word gnosis or knowledge. Uh, Peter doesn't use the compound form of this. He uses the simple form. Uh, and I think uh, Albert Barnett is probably right here. Where moral and religious values are concerned, the good man, and I put women in there, that's my quote, uh, thinks more clearly and astutely than an immoral man or an immoral woman. The will to do God's will enables a man to know whether the teaching is from God or not. This knowledge, this gnosis, is also experiential, which means that once we know and once we have experienced godly knowledge, we then take that knowledge 
and use it as we live our lives. That's, that's something else. If you could get a visualized picture here. First of all, if you have a tool belt, first of all, you want to put courage. Secondly, you want to put knowledge so that you have those available, that you have supplied to your faith, that you have added to your faith. And, and, and again, all of this is already given. He says all things have been given, but we have to nurture those virtues. And this, this isn't an, an, an inclusive list. There's some in Galatians. There's, there's, a, there's a ton of them. But Peter drills down on these because of the situation that the church found itself. So sometimes this knowledge will lead us to make either a right decision or a wrong decision. Most of us here today, we know the right way, right? Most of us do. You, you know when something is right and you know something is wrong. What I tell my trail life boys is that it is never wrong to do the right thing. One of the little boys, he's all over it, he knows it. And I'd say, hey, it's never wrong. And he'd go, to do the right thing. So this knowledge has to come into play. And it needs to be, what does God say about it? Not how do I feel about it? There's a big difference. I may feel one way about something, but God says no. So I have to make the decision and do the no thing. And sometimes God says yes. And then I do what God says to do. This is the issue. The issue here is that when you stand in courage and you have the knowledge to know that this is wrong and this is right, you're going to do the right thing. And sometimes... You're going to stand alone. Sometimes it will cost you family members. Sometimes it will cost you friends. And in the culture in which we live today, sometimes it may cost you your job. And yet, Peter says, look, there's a wave against you. There's all of this stuff coming against you. But you need to stand firm. You need to be courageous. You need to do not by feelings, but by what the word of God says. And you have to stand firm. Now, the next one is, it's, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like this. Faith, virtue, knowledge. It's, it's, it's like a stair step. There's many different ways that you could approach this. I'm trying to give you a couple of visual images here. This, this next one is self-control. Incarteia. Incarteia. And that means to, to express complete control over one's actions or desires. Reading straight from the Greek in interpretation. Now, what this means is, is when you are tempted, and, and by the way, I've heard this, and it's wrong. God never tempts anyone. God will test, but God will not tempt. So if you look at it this way, it means to exercise self-control. Now, I like donuts. In, 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 in fact, my Sunday school class is going to have a donut after this. But you can't live on that. You have to say no. You have to push back. So there has to be within the Christian life 
a self-awareness, if you will, that you need to be controlled by God, not by the world. There needs to be a self-control. You, you can't just do everything you want to do. Sometimes God, God puts parameters on what he wants us to do, not because God is a killjoy, but because God is protecting us. And he wants us to have self-control. So we, you know, if you pretend like the donut is the world, you have to say no. You have to have self-control over that. And it, it is difficult. I get it. I mean, there's, it's just, it's, it's hard because the world is so sneaky and actually Satan's so sneaky that it becomes difficult for us at, at times. Um, Tom Schreiner in his commentary writes this, a sideways glance is cast here at the false teachers for their lives are marked by dis dissolution and immorality. Those who live a godly life exercise self-discipline and can restrain themselves so that they do not capulate the sinful desires. So this applies to everything in life. You got somebody that did wrong to you and they hurt you. You can't then go, you know what? I'm going to get back at them. I'm going to strike back with the same way that they struck me. And that, at this point, is where you go, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And you say no. And it creeps into every facet of our lives. One of the big questions is, that you should ask before you make any decision, what does God say about the issue? And then when it's clear and it's obvious, you can't go, okay, I'm going to do it this way. You have to do it God's way. And ultimately, it will always, always come out better by doing it God's way because your conscience will be clear and uh, a lot of things come, come from that. So these false teachers said that you can live however you want to live and it'll be all right. That is our world today. That is our world today. Do whatever you want. And then the fourth one is steadfastness. Hupomene. That sounds like, sounds like Bigfoot. Hupomene. Hupomene. It's a this word is very strong in the Greek, and it refers to the capacity to build up and to withstand severe difficulties. You know, in 35 years of pastoral ministry, I have seen people bear up under unbelievable circumstances. And when, when I looked at their lives, they are courageous. They do have knowledge. They are saying no. And so they realize that their strength comes not from them, but from God. And so they're able to bear up. I, I don't know why I, def I default to this all the time. I don't know why, but just, just the way I am, I guess. Uh, basic training, basic training is a very, and those of you that uh, went to basic training, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, <clears throat> when we arrived at Fort Gordon, Georgia, I got an, an introduction to basic training from the drill sergeant. I'll tell you what, we were scared to death. The drill sergeant got on the bus and he stood like this and he said, welcome to Fort Gordon, Georgia. I can't tell you exactly what he said. I, I remember it. 
But he said, welcome to Fort Gordon, Georgia. Get off the bus now. And that's my toned down version. People were hitting each other trying to get off the bus. We were banging into each other. And then we got out there and we had our big bag that we had with us. It was on our back and he made us start doing push-ups. And then they'd come around and put their foot on top of you and say, push me up, push me up. And at that point, I'm thinking, what did I get myself into here? When I was in high school, I never woke up at 3.30. For eight weeks, I'll be honest with you, for eight weeks we lived in fear. It was a place of fear. And I remember the drill sergeants, and it's always exciting when a drill sergeant puts the brim of his hat on your forehead. And you're the target. And those were difficult circumstances, but you know what? When I graduated basic training, I was in the best shape of my life. And there were people that wanted to quit. There were eight of us in one room, and they, they wanted to quit. And we, we helped each other, and we made it through basic training. And when you came out of that, we were stronger. Thank goodness for AIT, Advanced Individual Training. But the drill sergeants really calmed down um, because we had graduated. They, I, I won't, they weren't our friends, like, hey, how you doing? But it wasn't as brutal as that period. But I came out of that stronger. Listen, when you endure hardships and you allow God to give you the strength to do it, you will come out stronger for when the next time comes around and you are, you're needing that strength again, you go, wait a minute, I saw what God did here. I'm going to trust him. And then you become stronger and stronger. Your moral courage is, is heightened. Your knowledge is heightened because it's an, also an experiential knowledge. And you are stronger because of it. Now the next one is godliness, Eusebia. And that means an appropriate belief and devout practices to the obligations relating to God. So this is being devout. I know that word seems foreign to Southern Baptists. We like to talk about sanctification. But becoming devoted to God. This is from Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted on the streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its, leaves does not, its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. And I want you to look at that first half of that verse. The child of God does not walk, does not walk with sinners. We do not stand with sinners. And then the final act of defiance is sitting. There is a progression to the sin. We just let this go, we just let this go, we just let this go. Um, 
but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. The way that you grow in your Christian walk, obviously, is listening to the Holy Spirit. But the biggest way that you grow in the Christian walk is get into God's Word. God's Word will give you knowledge. The world's system is folly. It's foolish. And what I, what I you know, even the most vile offender in our culture, and I came up with about 20 names, I'm not going to share any of them, just my own thoughts. Those people need Jesus. They need Jesus. And so, this godliness means that we have to partake in the divine nature. Part of being the divine nature means that we set our moral compass a little higher. The next word, which you should know pretty well, brotherly affection, which is Philadelphia. What is Philadelphia? The place of brotherly love. This is kind of when we come in, we greet one another because we love each other. Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples in that you love one another. That means we love each other right here. And it means that we're not going to do this life perfectly. I am not giving you some unrealistic ID or unrealistic expectation. And I'm not saying that you're going to do this perfectly. None of us do. But when we're eager and we have a desire to do it, it should reflect in our lives. And this is where, when we talk about brotherly love, we talk about loving each other in spite of our warts and lumps. There's not a person in this room, including myself, that does the Christian life perfectly. And yet we are called to love one another. And Jesus said that is, that is the, the heartbeat of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. The last one, this may surprise you, it's agape, but it's a different form of the word agape. This word love refers to, are you ready? One, two, you guys aren't counting, you're supposed to. It's a fellowship meal. Do you know, and, and, and I, I remember this, Fellowship meals are important. It was important in the early church. Do you know why fellowship meals are important? Because you learn more about a person when you're eating with them than you do at other times. One of the best seminary classes I ever attended, still sticks out, was Newt Larson. Many of you know Newt Larson. He's a friend of mine, mentor. Uh, he said, put your books down. Go. It was a big church, 18,000 and just the Akron Chapel, and then they had another, I don't know, eight or 9,000 down in green. But he said, I want you to go down to the conference room. We went down to the conference room, 30 of us sitting there, and there's nothing but pizza and Cokes. The class is only supposed to go two hours. I think we left at 10 o'clock. There was so much discussion about preaching that we just kept on. And I'm sure Newt Larson was going, it's 10, guys. 
I got to preach tomorrow. Actually, I had to preach four sermons, I think it was, because it was so big. But that class stuck out in my mind. You know why? Because we were eating, we were having a time of fellowship, and Newt Larson said, talk about preaching. Tell me what we've learned so far. And we just started talking about preaching. And we didn't quit for a long time. I can't remember. I think every last piece of pizza was finished. And I can't remember how many boxes we walked in, and I said, pizza! Excited. I like this class. Maybe that's why it stood out, because we didn't have to listen to a... Fellowship meals are important. Our fellowship uh, hospitality team, we put them on once a quarter. It's important. We, we may think, well, that's just letting people out early. No, it's not. It's very, very important to have fellowship meal, to eat. That's what the early church did. Okay. Let's go to the second point, to prevent inactivity. The reason that we grow our faith is to prevent inactivity. For, notice verse 7, we're talking about, uh, I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse 8. Um, for if these qualities are increasing, increasing is... Plownazo, I like that word, plownazo. That really means if it's increasing, if you have more and more and more. If it's, it's this, this word has the idea of overflowing. If this is increasing, if these qualities, virtue, knowledge, godliness, self-control, all of us, if you are adding them, adding them, adding them, and they are just growing, guess what? It's going to keep you from being ineffective. If you want to know how to be ineffective, stay at John 3.16. If you want to be ineffective, stay with John 3.16. God did love the world. He saved you. But he didn't save you to not grow. Everything that God implants in us is geared towards spiritual growth. You know what this word, it, it's argos. You know what the word is? Lazy. It keeps you from being lazy. When I was a, a section chief in the army, in Hawaii, <laughs> there was a guy that I, I did write up. Uh, I had told our team to go out and do uh, PMCS on the generators that we had because uh, we needed those generators to keep going. And this guy, and I, his name is escaping me right now, but I see him. He goes out to the generator and sits on top of the generator. I'm like looking out as I'm ordering stuff. I'm looking out and I go, he's supposed to be doing a PMCS. This same guy always have to wake him up to be ready for formation. He's lazy. So I walk out there and I said, what are you doing? I'll get around to it, Sarge. And I said, you'll get around to it now. I don't think so. 
Sergeant Anderson came over. He said, did you hear what he said? Yeah, I heard. I just don't want to do it. We said, fine. We walked in the office. Both of us wrote up uh, Article 15 on him. We both took it to the company commander. He lost two grades, and he was confined to the barracks for a month. In other words, he couldn't go out. Why? Because he was lazy. He didn't want to do it. And so when we, if we're growing like crazy, and we're adding this stuff, you're not going to be inactive. You're not going to be ineffective. You're going to be growing. It'll keep you from being lazy. Secondly, oh, wait a minute. There's, there's, there's a good quote here by Clive Anderson. Climbing the ladder of faith will reveal the fruit of faith in the life of a true child of God. Because moving on as a Christian reveals a longing for the things of God in greater measure. Progressive growth. Sometimes I have a negative thought, progressive, but progressive growth in the Christian life is a sign of spiritual vitality and prevents sloth. Have you ever seen those sloths? I'm going to swing now. If we're not growing, then we've stopped growing. Think of it that way. If we're not growing, we have stopped growing. Again, let me say this. We're not going to do it perfectly, but you at least got to try. When we went through basic training, I didn't do it perfectly. And by God's grace, I finished it. But there were so many times I just said, you know what? I'm tired of being yelled at. One day we came in and all of our bunks were overturned. The room was a mess. We came back in. It was probably 7 o'clock at night. We had been gone all day. Come back and our room is trashed. And the drill sergeant came in and he said, fix this. Do you know why? Our bunks weren't perfectly tight. So we had to learn. There were some other things. It was pretty funny, but uh, one time I got yelled at for an <laughs> I got in per, I got I, I got yelled at for impersonating Drill Sergeant Caswell. And everybody knew it except me. My back was to the door. And everybody went, at ease, and I went, oh no. Because I was using the, I called it the M1 boot, and I was impersonating him. We got ourselves a comedian. Come here, boy. I was like, oh, God. Just invite trouble, right? Just invite it. I tell you what, I was not lazy at that moment. Because I was down in the hallway doing push-ups. I had three drill sergeants on me, and I was like, I'll never do this again, ever, ever. Never, ever, ever will I imitate him again. I walked back in, and Gaynor goes, Mike, that was rough. I said, yeah, it was. I'll never do it again. <laughs> I love my drill sergeants. I love them. Love it, love it, want more of it. That's what we used to say. 
Actually, we were lying when we said that. We love it, we love it, we don't want more of it. That's what we really want to say. But, uh, it'll also keep you from being unfruitful. Unfruitful. And that means not producing fruit. And here's the issue. We're supposed to produce fruit in our lives. Well, actually, no. Let me, let me, re, let me rephrase that biblically. As we live for God in this world, and as we allow the Spirit to control our lives, He will manifest that fruit as we surrender to Him. That's a better way of saying it. In, in, in fact, all God really wants is you. All you have to say is, God, here I am. I want to grow like crazy. Help me. And you will. Because God knows when you're serious and when you're not. Picture of a tree not bearing fruit. I don't know if you're... Some say he wasn't saved. Some says he was. I think he was because I read it. His name was Brother Lawrence. He lived in the 1600s. He fought in the Thirty Years' Wars. He was on the battlefield, and he looked up and he saw a tree, and it was barren. Obviously, that's a sign that it's winter. But he looked on the battlefield. He was like 19 years old. He looked and he said, at that moment, he had a conversion experience. Because he said, he said, all of a sudden, it was like God told him, this tree is not fruitful now, but spring is coming and it will be fruitful again. Leaves will come on, the berries will come on, or whatever's on that tree. And he thought to, he thought to himself on the battlefield, God can do that for a tree. He can transform the human heart. I don't think I've ever done this, but I'm going to read you a section of this, which I found very interesting. Early on, in, he was a monk. Um, it was in France. He was actually the treasurer to the French uh, treasurer. He was an, an assistant to the treasurer in France before he completely surrendered his life. Up till this time, well, they called Brother Lawrence. That's what he named himself. Um, he said, I struggled. I struggled to please God. He said, when I would do something, I wouldn't do it. Not the way God wanted it. And I want to pick up on, on these words here. Speaking of his struggle, ever since that time, I walk before God simply, in faith, with humility, and with love. And I apply myself diligently to do nothing and to think nothing which would displease him. I hope that when I have done what I can, he will do with me as he pleases. As for what passes me at the present, I cannot express it. I have no pain or difficulty about my state, because I know I have no will but that of God, 
which I endeavor to accomplish all things and to which I am so resigned that I would not take up a straw from the ground against his order or form any other motive purely that of loving him. That's a life that was spent trying to please God. And you know what? When it boils down to it, all the virtues aside, when it boils down to it, that's the goal of life. To please God. All the theological stuff is fine, but the ultimate goal to please God. Simple, direct, and to the point. Lastly, uh, oh, wait a minute, I want to give you this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Uh, this is the extra point, but there's plenty of these. There's plenty of virtues throughout the entire New Testament and the Old Testament that we can add to our tool belt. Now, the last thing is this. We are now approaching the airport. So hang in there. Knowing Jesus. He's used this word knowledge three times. In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, Lord Jesus Christ. Three main titles. The word know here means experientially. The disciples spent time with Jesus. They saw him work. And guess what? They didn't get it right. Look at Peter, the guy that wrote this. I, I, I see Peter as one of those bulls in a china shop. <laughs> rushing in. But sometimes we're like that too. I will never deny you, Lord. And Jesus said, before the cock crows three times, you will have denied me. And he denied him three times. So, not perfect, but he's saying, guys, I want you to aim for perfection. And in aiming per for perfection and adding to your tool belt, you begin to grow in moral courage, in knowledge, in self-control, in godliness, in steadfastness. You begin to grow and grow. This is about knowing Jesus. It always has been. This is not about knowing what our Constitution says. This is about knowing Jesus. And when you know Jesus and you've experienced Jesus, you know what? From that, you want to start adding stuff to your belt, if you will. 